1: Hi, Tran.
2: I'm Jose Solis.
1: And we're your token theater friends.
2: Today we have like a really extra super special, is that even a word? Probably not. We have a special, very special episode because we have a very long episode and we want to share all the good stuff that we have for you. So we ended up deciding to, instead of like super editing our episode, we are going to give you two episodes instead of one this week. We have part one, which is going to be an interview with George Salazar, who you know from Be More Chill, and if you were lucky enough to see him in Little Shop of Horrors in California, which is why I'm also wearing this, I'm so excited. Which you
1: also cannot see if this is a podcast.
2: I'm very nerdy today, I'm sorry. Uh, But George is doing Night of a Thousand Judies on July 14th, so we're going to be talking to him about that and what he's been doing in quarantine, and in part two, Deep, What Are We Doing?,
1: Part two, we have our Hamilton Congress, where we have two very special guests come in to talk to us about, wait for it, Hamilton. Because we've noticed that just like in 2015, right now most of the people critiquing Hamilton are white people, which is pretty problematic. Because the show is written by a person of color and is starring people of color. So why are there very few people of color who are not named Soraya McDonald writing about it? Who knows? But we decided to do something about it by bringing in two amazing guests to talk about it. First, we have Heath Saunders, who is an amazing actor and composer, and you, you may remember them from Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 on Broadway. And our second guest is Calandra Smith, who is an arts journalist and friend to me and Jose, and she critiques theater in Atlanta for Arts ATL and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It's a really long discussion, but we promise you it is worth it because we go in we going far. We almost didn't come out. Will they be
2: satisfied?
1: I know. We hope you'll be satisfied, but, you know, we will never be satisfied <laughs> with our Hamilton discussion because we could have gone on for longer. Oh, my God, but...
2: we could have, yeah. And we put in a lot of
1: work, work. Who's Angelica
2: in this relationship? <clears throat> mm. Mm. I guess we can both be Angelica and Peggy. Like, I don't, like, <laughs> n- n- none of us want to be... Eliza's so boring, Right. <laughs>
1: Eliza, Eliza's really good at her job. No,
2: I mean, yeah, but I mean, which like, is
1: being a wife. Yeah, yeah. It's
2: yeah, like I mean, like God bless her, but like I wanna be that, like, you know, like. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I want a revolution. Yeah, not a revelation. Okay, <laughs> enough. It sounds like in stone. Still...
1: <laughs> okay.
2: Welcome to part two. This is our Hamilton Congress. The House is now in session.
1: Okay, we are here. For our cabinet battle number one, with our very special guests Heath Saunders and Calundra Smith, can someone introduce themselves and tell us who you are, what you do, When did you see Hamilton?
0: Hi, I'm I'm Heath Saunders. Uh, I'm a, a composer, a writer, and an actor. Um, and and what I so I I, I saw Hamilton on Broadway in previews and then i didn't see it again until the disney plus film so that's i have a a long-standing relationship it's also been very interesting to me because the hamilton was one of those things that people told me i had to see because they were like you can be the next lin manuel miranda because when Mm -hmm. you act and you write and you act in the things you write there's a very limited." context for what you can do when you're a person of color (laughs) basically like you're a person of color you write you act you must be Lin-Manuel Miranda and I was like so Lin and I do very different things but you know what can what can be done so I have a long a long history with the Lin-Manuel Miranda world deeply impressed by him as a general rule. Cool.
3: Um, I'm Kalundra Smith. I am a theater critic and arts journalist based in Atlanta. Um, I freelance for a number of publications around the country, including the New York Times, Food and Wine Magazine, American Theatre, and Arts ATL. Um, I saw Hamilton in fall of 2018. Um, in Charlotte, North Carolina when it was on the first round equity tour um, and Funny story, actually, the reason I saw it in Charlotte is because I was unable to get press tickets to see it in Atlanta and raised a stink about it on Twitter (laughs) and had a lot of support in raising a stink about it on Twitter, Uh, which led to me getting a call from the national press agent uh, for Hamilton, who then said, you know, we have been trying to get more um, critics of color in the room where it happens and we are deeply sorry Um, so uh, that is how I ended up seeing it in Charlotte Um, so that's an interesting tidbit there and and so seeing it on Disney plus was a a different kind of experience because that's not the cast I saw Mm. Um, and so I'm not only comparing the live experience to the on-screen experience, but also the cast I saw compared to the original cast, which I have to say, there are some performances I liked better from the tour cast.
2: Hmm. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, I think, Jose, did, did you see it at the public?
2: No. Okay. By oh. the time that I wanted to go see it, it was too popular, and I never won the lottery, so I saw it for the first time on Broadway uh, in 2017, January 2017.
1: Yeah, I saw it at the public, and then, which you know, mood. But <laughs> and then I saw I saw it again on Broadway, and it's, it's funny that they were talking about trying to get critics of color in there because I fucking had to like practically sell my fourth firstborn in order to get a ticket.
2: <laughs>
1: it's yeah, like, I yes, mean... I'm actually writing about this. I'm not freeloading.
2: <laughs> the first bill that we're gonna introduce to the session today is let's talk about the difference between seeing the show on stage live, you know, back when we were allowed to see other people in public and brush against them and seeing it on television or your iPad or your iPhone or wherever you saw it. Yeah. I, you know, I I will, I I will offer
0: that of, of the pro shot musicals that I've seen, uh, the Hamilton film is very effective. Uh, at if not uh, translating the exact experience of seeing the show live uh, it is it does translate the sort of thrust of a live performed uh, show which I found really nice <laughs> I because as a person who like you know adores musical theater it is interesting to like the ways that it's shot often make it seem significantly worse than it in. uh and i I didn't really feel that way with the Hamilton film, which I sort of liked, but one of the things that i I, I thought it lost is uh is actually it's it's both a, a criticism of the original show and a sort of thing that I liked about the original show, which is that the original show was it was so much information constantly it's like I mean Act one especially is just like. An assault of visual information and and uh, and oral information uh, that makes it quite difficult to follow at certain points, and it actually makes it so the parts of it which I think are expertly crafted really got buoyed. Like I, we all love the helpless and dissatisfied moment. Uh, I think I can't actually technically speak for you, but for me, that 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 <laughs> moment of stagecraft was so impressive and so. Uh, just like stunning. I knew exactly where to mm-hmm. look. I knew what was happening around where my eye was going. Everything about that moment was so thrilling to me. And while in the film, it captures the sort of story moment of it. It doesn't really quite, for something about the like aggressive shifts of camera made it so I wasn't able to sort of appreciate what I consider the stagecraft of that moment. Uh, and so it ended up being a little bit uh, like, oh yeah, that happened. <laughs> and left them, like what happened for me in the show when I saw it, when I was like out of my seat, like this is, this is expertly crafted. And, and, you know, that so that's a little bit disappointing, but again, it's sort of a double-edged sword here that we're talking about, which is like, it is not meant to be a film. So this version of it, I think was a really, really effective capturing of it in this new medium. And also I lost some of the things about theater that I love.
1: Hmm. To your point, Heath. Like I actually don't think the choreography was best served through it because most of the time the camera wasn't on the ensemble who was doing a, the brunt of the movement. It was on the main performers, which yes, that, that's what we—that's who we want to see. And but like there's the moment where Hamilton gets shot, and and Ariana DuBose plays the bullet and you barely even see her do that epic slow walk across the platform because you're concentrating on Lin Manuel and so and like the i feel like that's the thing about about film like the camera tells you who is important mm. but in theater you're allowed to look wherever you want to look and and take in the entire stage picture and so i kind of miss a lot of the wider shots i remember in the theater because Tommy Tom Kale was telling me I need to look at right here at mm-hmm. Lynn while he's talking. I'm like, no, I want to look at Ariana. I, I, I love what <laughs> she was doing right there.
0: As a general rule, I always want to look at Ariana DeBose. So, <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I think that um, the. If anything, I think the focus of the camera helped to clarify story in some Mm. ways, if you had missed it when you saw it live. Um, And then of course there's closed captioning on your TV. So then, you know, you're like, oh, okay. Uh, So I think there's some clarity there. But what I really missed in addition to, I think one of the strengths of Lin-Manuel's musicals in general is all the stuff happening in the black background. He loves a street scene that looks very realistic. So we're not going to be on a street sidewalk in New York and there not be people going by in the background. And some folks are going to be holding umbrellas and it maybe it's raining. Mm-hmm. And so that's some of the stuff that you didn't get by watching it through the screen on Disney+. And then I think the other thing that I miss, too, is the energy of the music doesn't come across Through the screen because there's something about that live orchestra that that sound is all around you and you're swallowed up by it now the numbers that did come across like the room where it happens still it was amazing in person it's amazing on screen (laughs) like you're just like Mm -hmm. it's in your head you're jazzy you're singing it but then there are other musical numbers that i really liked in person but like the energy of that live instrumentation is what boosted them, but you didn't get on
2: screen. The movie version, I feel, is a great example of what you're all saying, which is, you know, movies are, after all, like a director's medium, right? And yeah, like choosing what to focus on is, I mean, I really admired this version because it must, it must have been like hell, because like, yeah, Lynn loves all his Easter eggs, but they're usually happening all over. And i thought that this would be a great uh, example of a movie that remember back when dvds had this like multi-angle option where you can <laughs> choose what i look from this would benefit from that because because mm. if we had gotten you know the way that uh, you know that standard shot that we get when uh, shows are recorded to preserve them at the uh, lincoln center library you know those are yeah. like terrible like we don't want to look at the whole thing all the time. So I was really impressed actually. And I, did you hear that people were talking about whether this movie was gonna be eligible for Oscars or not? Because like, Oscars are bending the rules this year to (laughs) let, no, it's it's true, to let movies that were originally- uh, No. Uh,
3: (laughs)
1: Wow, controversial opinion, Calendra. tell us more.
3: No, because there's going to be a film adaptation of Hamilton that is not the Broadway
0: show. But I mean, right now, this is the movie
2: that we have. So no. it would be.
0: I'm all about genre busting media, right? Like I want media to be multi multimedia. I love that we sort of blur blur, blur the lines. I think the challenge that I have with the idea of this particular... I mean, I even have a hard time calling it the Hamilton film. I, I'm i like, mm-hmm. it's not really a film. No. It's, no and no. then I appraise it. it it's funny, because as soon as I go into the, like, do you want me to appraise this as a movie? Then I go into a little bit of the, like, that's... There's, there's camera things. I, I just, like... I'm like, it's not, like, cinematically an extraordinary work beyond the idea that the job is to convey what's happening on stage so I mean I think about like you know Lars von Trier does some movies that are like staged and but to me what he's doing is a film like you shouldn't they're not meant to be watched live Hamilton remains a a it feels like a to me the Hamilton film feels like a really really great archival recording Mm -hmm. more than it feels like a Mm -hmm a a a art a piece of art on its own that stands as and again there's that's a that's a you know now that it's coming out of my mouth i have a little bit more like I, do i really think that but i think i think I, I you know what i'm gonna stand by it i'm gonna stand by
1: it that's our <laughs> criticism hey Thie, do you don't know until it comes out
2: <laughs> i'm glad ahead. you brought up uh lars Heath because i was gonna challenge you know this notion with that precisely manderley and dogville yeah our House Stage with have you Calandra and deep have you seen those movies
1: no, but no. I I remember the uh, Anna Karenina the uh, Joel uh, the one with Karen Knightley and it was right
2: adaptation. Sure yeah. right
1: Anna Karenina that was done like a play because there was a stage
2: mm-hmm. and that
1: was like a metaphor.
2: And Lars von Trier's films like he uh, Dogville and manderley he basically shoots them in a completely empty sound stage and it's very Brechtian in that when he shoots from above, you can see like the outlines of what the buildings are for instance telling you What's there? So it's a movie without sets, without objects, without props, and you have to imagine things. And there's a few sound effects. They're like fucking fantastic. So I was at the Academy when I was talking about this, but this is a real conversation that people are having. And if the Academy deems that Disney uh, is right and that the movie can be eligible for Academy Awards, it will be eligible for Academy Awards, and even there, if it. And was... there ain't nothing we can do that about. That. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: I will, I will not be happy about this. I I think it is (laughs) its own product because I mean, unless it's creating a new genre of film, like what category does this go under? Is it documentary? Is it feature? Is it, is it, what is it? I mean, I'm okay if we're saying we're going to make a new category of film for broadway or theatrical you know shows shot what what is that like i don't i need somebody to tell me what category it falls under because to me it is not a feature film and i don't know that it's fair that you would put hamilton in the same category as something that had a bigger budget and cgi like, I just don't, <laughs> I don't know, what do you do with that? I'm curious, I'm genuinely asking. I, I'm not, you know.
2: Killer Dress is just saying that isn't categorization precisely what keeps people of color from participating in all these things, you know? Are they even making real theater if it's not this or that? You know, and if we go and like try to categorize even something like this, where in a year where, you know, a lot of movies aren't being released at all, it would give, you know, actors of color the opportunity to compete in the oscar race race sorry which is usually extremely white so why this you know need for categorization when being classified is how racism started how we are kept from participating in all this uh very very white circles like i i don't i don't I don't
3: get that. Our desire to remove categories from the Oscars doesn't remove categories from the Oscars. Well, they're going to put this movie in a category. Like, uh, it's not... I mean, I'm not saying what Calundra wants. You know what I mean? The Academy of Motion Picture Arts, and Sciences is going to put this movie in a category whether we like it or not. My question is, what category does it go in And does that category set this film up for success? Is it fair or is this something that we need to channel into like a Golden Globes or an Emmys if we wanna award it with something to give it its best opportunity for a win? Because I can foresee the moment but there's all this hype around. Oh my God, Hamilton recording is uh, nominated for an Oscar, and then all of these people of color are like ready with their you know accepted speeches, and then all of a sudden it's like, and the Oscar goes to insert name of Russell Crowe film or whatever. You know, so I just, I think that I want us. I mean, I'm, I'm. If we're gonna dismantle, dismantle, but I don't think the Academy will dismantle. Just by letting this be eligible, I think they're going to put this in a category and be like, well, if it's good enough, it'll stand up. And it's like, actually, if the category itself is discriminatory, then it's not going to stand up.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's only two categories. Basically, it's nonfiction, which is documentaries, and then movies, which is everything else. And this would be
3: like a documentary, Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Why?
3: Maybe I don't know. I don't know.
2: I no. I mean, no, I'm just asking. No, for for instance, the movies that Heath and I were talking about, the Lars von Trier movies, which were shot on soundstage with chalk outlines, were movies. You know, they're right, not documentaries. But, the right, intentions but, looks different. But
0: for me, but what for, what for me is really important to differentiate between the Lars von Trier movie and the Hamilton film is that. The Hamilton film, I mean, if we want to talk about, like, the flow of money and the way that things happen and why the Hamilton film was made when other shows that are put on stage are not made into movies in this way. Like, this is not about, Hamilton was not, desi- they did not direct this musical to be the thing that it is. That It is literally a capturing of a different a different category of of media and and that for me is where i 'm like Lars von Trier was making a film, he was making a film using a set of techniques that were based on the act the direction of the actors was directing them toward the idea that this thing was meant to be a film it was the whole creation of the sound stage was designed it wasn 't like people were meant to be in watching the thing he was making a film and that 's not to say that this piece of art, the Hamilton film is not a film unto itself i'm just it feels like we're getting we're like having step, more and more steps of removal from what the thing is right we, we've created a musical and then you like film it. And it's like, if I then, if I took the recording of the movie, the Hamilton film, and then I like recut it myself, would I be making a new piece of or like, it's a b- valid thing to do as an artist, but it does to me, it feels, and, and then for me, what becomes most disingenuous about that in in the context of like giving bodies of color opportunity to compete in these spaces, is that these actors are not performing as though they're it's they're they're not for me as an actor, I get really worked up because I do believe that performing on film is different than performing on stage. And there are, I would argue in the Hamilton film, there are performances that are served by this new media in a way that other performances are not. And it's and it is not one-to-one. There are performances on the stage that I think are really, really solid musical theater or Broadway performances that I think, and again, this is not to be disparaging saying that one. One is better than the other it's just they're different mm-hmm. and and i have a, I, I i i feel like i'm a little bit with Kalendro where i'm like are we setting this up for success because who actually wins out of this these, these we're not giving this these actors of color this opportunity to compete in this new space that they otherwise wouldn't we're giving a bunch of white people who in fact budgeted and funded the entire thing the opportunity for clout within their white system
3: Right. So, and the Skyler Sister, to your point, the Skyler sisters' performance is a musical theater performance. It is that. I mean, when they come out on that stage and the vocal prowess that those singers have, I mean, it's it's chills up your spine. I mean, the notes that they're hitting, but that performance would not be the same if this was shot to be a film. Right. Um, and then you also, I wonder what that does to folks like Anthony Ramos, right? who he is a formidable film and television actor. He's going to be in the In the Heights movie, not the film of the musical, but the actual Universal Pictures movie, right? And so then, I mean, his performance that he's giving you in the musical Hamilton is different than what he's already proven he can do in other films and in other uh, television shows. Because, I mean, he's been working, you know? So I think that there's, there's something to be said there too. Yeah.
2: I want to say that right now I'm so happy right now because I'm imagining white people if you're watching this or if you're listening to this can you imagine if this was what like the actual house of representatives and the <laughs> senate looked like and sounded like like holy shit like what a world we would be in I am very happy with this uh conversation so thank you for for being here uh the second bill that we want to introduce is the difference between you know 2015 and 2020 uh, you know it's been five years since the musical first showed up anywhere wrong. it showed up as that uh, at that press dinner right first. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah but it means it's like the staged version the final version was presented it's been five years. And let's talk about the difference between how it was received back then by us. and by people and what it feels like to be seeing this show in 2020. Let's go first.
1: I mean, I mean we've, we switched, we switch we switch presidents since then. Like this is a very much an Obama the only musical that could be written in an Obama administration where we're all feeling very positive about relatively positive. I mean, generally. I'm not speaking for Native Americans or immigrants in cages. But very po- we were all feeling I, I know in 2015 like I was feeling pretty good about the state of the country. I was this musical made me feel so patriotic and so represented because here's two things i love i love period dramas Mm. and it just makes me so sad that pocs are never in period dramas because they're usually with white people and i'm just like oh my god there's this gorgeous black woman and she's wearing a regency gown like (laughs) that is everything i have ever wanted And, you know, and and I love reading about history and being able to read, the musical did, in 2015, I thought the musical did was successfully what it was trying to do, which is to reclaim history in our image using these figures that we were taught in school as Americans to revere. And I think what Hamilton did was, like, make them seem more human. Like, at the time, it was like, oh, my God, how dare you portray, you know, Thomas Jefferson as someone with an actual personality and and I think right but I think now this is what's interesting about art and in just five years it, it became something that was so revolutionary to something that's so problematic and the thing hasn't changed but we have watching it is for me it's different now because I don't really feel particularly proud but to be an American but I do feel like things that hit differently for me this time around was a call to revolution and the notion that it's okay. it was only ever okay for white people to be revolutionaries, but this musical showed that the people who are on the streets right now are people who look like us, like we are the revolutionaries. And, But at the same time, you can't disagree with the fact that it is still about white people. And so what is the, ne- what is the next step towards representation?
2: Am I the only person here i mean i know that you came here very young deep but am i might the only person who migrated uh you know who was born outside the us who came here uh as an adult yeah you yes? are okay you. Yeah, it's really interesting to me because uh when i saw it even uh you know it is very obama but obama was disastrous to the rest of the world obama was putting kids in cages except the media didn't care that much uh obama was bombing syria constantly obama was creating a lot of uh war and chaos in the Middle East and as I've told I've talked to you about uh, before deep Obama is in many ways the reason why I'm here he and Hillary Clinton backed up a military dictatorship and a coup that led the Honduran president to be removed from power established a military dictatorship and that's how I ended up here eventually you know because I can't live in my home country because um, the the number of LGBTQ murders and the uh, you know the violence that was caused because of that Obama-Hillary-backed coup was disastrous. So, you know, I, to me, even seeing this musical and seeing how happy everyone was, I was like, well, maybe, you know, we should be more open to listening to all the damage that Obama caused. in 2016 was so heartbroken because, you know, I saw how people had to decide between voting for this monster in that's currently in the White House or voting for the women who was helped by the government to destroy my home country. Hmm. So America for me has always been a very, um, I don't know, a very complex, very heartbreaking concept. So I never had this hope, even at Hamilton, because I knew you know, it was very much about what the idea of America tells itself, like what America says that it wants to be. And in 2020, it is the reality of America where, you know, Uh, This is a musical that whitewashes history by using colorblind casting. And it, you know, right now it's been so eye opening to me. I've been telling this to a lot of people how so many of the things that are happening right now with police brutality, with corruption in government, with immigration, obviously, with uh, the military and the cops like unleashing their violence on people. I never thought that I would see that in America, because those are the things that America does to the rest of the world. And it is really terrifying for me to be here and recognizing some of the things that I'm seeing, you know, the fireworks and the sound torture that they're using right now. The the way in which this president's family is like, you know, making disregarding the Constitution completely and just like emptying their pockets and so much corruption that disaster that there is right now with COVID-19. Those are things that I thought, I never thought in a million years that I would see in America. Those are the things that America helps cause in the world. So right now, every day I'm thinking, okay, if I went to the place where I was going to be saved and safe from these things, but now I'm seeing the government do these same things to its citizens. Where the fuck am I going to migrate next? Right. Like it's it's outer space, the place for me to be in. Uh,
0: It's I, I would I would just Uh, love to sort of uh, one of the things that's really interesting I think with with blackness in America is that the 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 thing that you're describing about the thing that America would never do to its its own citizens that story has never been true for the black body in America that so (laughs) so for me I have a little bit of a uh, a a reactivity to the notion that that America would never do this to its own citizens because that, that for me is a little bit, that's just a difficult thing as a concept for me. Um, and one of the things that I think is uh, a very interesting about Hamilton, and this is sort of, for me, specifically what's different about Hamilton in 2015 versus Hamilton now, is for me, I have, I have better contextualized the American relationship to the black body mm-hmm. In a way that makes it so, when I saw Hamilton before, what I was witnessing as a Black person was looking at the possibility of achievement given to the Black body. So I was witnessing Black bodies achieve things. And I was like, this is a glorious coup. This is amazing. I am I am so thrilled to see Renee Elise Goldsberry on stage being a complicated and interesting character in a way that Black bodies are not afforded that space. I think Leslie Odom Jr. delivers a performance of a lifetime in the show. This is an exciting thing for me. For me, within my own understanding of Blackness and America, when I now look at when, with this sort of newly opened, reopened eyes about the way that this country treats the black body. And I put that story on top of the story of Hamilton and I go, oh, so what has happened in Hamilton is not a celebration of the black body. It feels like the use of the black body to better m- make, make a story about whiteness more palatable to us. And that for me is the thing that's like very different. I, I have this and again, as a person who loves the sh- of musical theater, and I love well-executed musical theater, I'm like huzzah musical theater! I love this in this thing. But then when I sort of think about the context of what I'm seeing, which the show does very little to actually acknowledge or sort of point out to us, when I think about the context of using black bodies, and I mean specifically black bodies in this context, there are spaces in which the BIPOC experience is in fact a a holistic and and a gathered experience. But within the experience of America, the experience of the black body is unique and the way that that this this show specifically erases the experience of the black body at that time i find it that the 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 cognitive dissonance that i have to to put into the watching of the show to buy into the story to say that yes i can i A black body can be concerned with my own legacy beyond my concern with my literal survival is a is a really hard. uh, It's a hard space to carry those two stories together, which to me has nothing to do with historicity of the show. I'm not interested in like whether I, I, I understand that this is a that that Hamilton is is an article came out today that was talking about how it's a fan fiction that it's a it's a deliberate reclamation Mm -hmm. of of history the thing about fan fiction is that fan fiction is taking an established story that we know we know and we culturally understand as a story and then reclaiming a story the problem that i have with the history in hamilton is that we're only just now i feel like reckoning in a real way with the fact that history is in fact a fiction. So the relationship between the story that is Hamilton and and the story that is the fictional history, I love that people are like yay this is a this is wonderful. People get to sort of take apart and reclaim pieces and like I love that. Like, if you tell me Harry Potter rewritten with black people, I'm like, oh, sorry, not Harry Potter. We canceled that. I don't <laughs> want to deal with Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, everything is not safe. Uh,
1: <laughs> everything is canceled in 2020.
0: <laughs> no, but if we take, but if we take a story, like you know, let's let's take a any a, a fictional story. Like, oh, I, the only thing that I'm coming into like my Cinderella. Is, like, like Cinderella, right? And we reclaim Cinderella, and we like that. For me, is like. We're reclaiming a fairy tale and the power in reclaiming fairy tales is about the open power of changing the myth. And for me, we're not explicitly doing that with American history, or at least it doesn't feel like everyone is doing that. And I wanna, I'm very interested in shattering the myth of American history right now. So for me, Hamilton in 2020, doesn't actually actively work to shatter the myth of America. And in fact, it continues to reassert the story of American exceptionalism, the story that there are individual men, always men, who impacted the the change of the world in great and inspiring ways, our founding fathers, Existed. And Hamilton does not confront that version of history. The thing that Hamilton confronts is that you can put a different body on stage and a different story can be told. And that, for me, is the thing that's like deeply Obama era, which is like, yeah, Mm -hmm. we have a black president, and therefore, we have worked to dismantle these things. Yeah, we have a black person playing Burr, therefore we have sort of moved beyond this thing. And I think right now we're in this wonderful and terrifying moment where we're able to look more deeply at that relationship and actually say to ourselves and to others, be like, wow, I don't know that history went like this. I don't know that it's the story of of these extraordinary white men. Who did things? I think they might have had blind spots too, and I, and again, I, it's not to say that Hamilton doesn't say that these people have blind spots that they're not people. It, it is a great story, right? The story of Hamilton is great, but my question is, how does it how does it contribute to what our culture is saying about ourselves, about our relationship between the bodies in our in our country right now, about uh, just about life? And that for me is where the, the sort of difference really lies, which is like i don't want to I don't want to talk about whether Hamilton is good or bad Hamilton's great, like it's just so well done like the craft on display is extraordinary but but the insidious thing what we're actually saying, which is you know that America is amazing in specific specifically that America is- a genius project, is like huh white white people love that story,
3: but I wonder if the way that Hamilton has been received is so much because of who had access to see it. Um, So I will say that I saw Hamilton in October, I believe, in twenty eighteen of twenty eighteen. But I think earlier that year, I had already seen John Leguizamo's Latin History for Morons. So actually, seeing Latin History for Morons before you see Hamilton, I feel like totally changes the way you see Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's on HBO. I should watch it. And so, and it's on it's on Netflix too. Um, but I saw it in New York on stage um, at what was it? Roundabout at Studio Fifty Four, I think it where is where it was. And I will say that that theater experience at Latin History for Morons was the kind of theater experience I wanted to have at Hamilton, because the audience at John Leguizamo's show was all brown, all around, to quote Sandra Cisneros, okay? And it was the first time I'd ever sat in an audience on Broadway that was all brown all around like that. And then it's like John Leguizamo giving you this context and this history inside of his own personal story. So I I definitely had the experience of carrying that with me before seeing Hamilton now when we talk about the world of 2015 versus the world of 2020 i think that all of you have made salient points i will say that when i saw the musical the first time i was impressed by the stagecraft i mean you can't the technique i mean it's it's western musical theater done exquisitely um but i will it was always a fiction to me i in the way that the skylar sister story was handled the misogyny was just more than i could you know, stomach, for one, <laughs> sitting in the first time I saw it. And I felt the same way when I watched it on Disney+. Plus. Um, and, and even with the woman who he has an affair with and that mm. whole bit. I mean, comedian Catherine Ryan does an excellent bit in her stand-up comedy special Glitter Room where she talks about how, like, this woman went to her representative because her husband was abusing her and he ends up sleeping with her. And it's like, yes, this is, this is only the way a, my, a man would write this. Like, mm. what do you mean say no to this? Like... She's desperate. <laughs> Say no. Um, she 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 has to sleep with you to get help. Like stop it. Uh, so um so that was always like problematic to me. And then the handling of the three fifths compromise and the way it's kind of like glossed over and like sales. And it's like, but you know, Eliza redeems the legacy by being an abolitionist. And it's like, no, like, the three fifths compromise is literally what we are dealing with in the streets of every city in America right today. So when we talk about 2015 versus now. Um, I think that. The only difference for me and how I view it is that looking at the revolutionary war scenes in mm. 2020 versus the revolutionary war that's happening on the streets of America right now, the war scenes struck me differently because it seems as if we are on the verge of another sort of revolutionary war and we don't know what our constitution and what will the federalist papers, right, of 2020 be versus what they were in 1776. Mm-hmm. I think that's where um, it's a little different for me because the issues have not changed for people of color in this country between 2015 and 2020. The issue is still higher unemployment rates, inequitable access to health care. Um, ICE and immigration detention and deportation being absolutely out of control, police brutality being out of control. I mean, we have to remember that during I mean, police brutality against black folks has been an issue since the beginning of this country. <laughs> you know, well, since like, a I mean, police. <laughs> I mean, right. Since, I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like we had killings of unarmed black people happening in 2015 and in 2016 and 2017, and they were happening in 2000 and they were happening in 95 and they were happening in 85 and they were happening in 65. You know, so I think that we have to rec- reconci- reconcile that. I think that um, another thing that I will say is different though, is I think that We have critical mass behind ideas today that Mm. we didn't have in 2015. I think generally speaking, we have more critical mass around the idea that ICE needs to be abolished. (laughs) I think we have more critical mass behind the idea that the way policing currently works in this country doesn't work, and that stand your ground laws in this country enables white people to kill people of color without consequence. I think we have more critical mass behind that. I think we have more critical mass behind women's bodies and how women have never had full agency over their own bodies in this country. So I think we have more critical mass behind the ideas that the founding of, the, of this country didn't honor <laughs> yeah. today than we did in 2015 but I don't see Hamilton. I guess for me, any differently today than I did in twenty fifteen in twenty when I listened to it in twenty fifteen or saw it in twenty eighteen, because it was always a fiction to me. Um, mm. Mm. And it, it was never something where it was like, it all felt like a metaphor. It all felt like satire. It all felt like comedy and manners. Like it never felt, <laughs> um, which you call, I love comedy and manners. That's what i no,
2: favorite Me too, favorite. I love. I,
3: um, you know, it all—it always felt like that to me, but it doesn't take away t- from, to me, it doesn't take away the brilliance of the stagecraft that it is. I. It was always a work that was flawed. Yeah
0: it's what i not i i know i 've spoken a lot but i want i want I, I i love what you everything you just said i i, I want to underline something that I, I i or 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 rather I, i'm interested in 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 making sure that as I look at Hamilton that in all of the spaces in which Hamilton is problematic, that I also think that Hamilton also happened at you know in two thousand and fifteen and I think it represented a shift in a conversation that i think it was absolute like that cannot be taken away the importance of the shift that hamilton did which was which was actually about divorcing character from body which was a defense mm-hmm. of white american theater that for decades right as long as as white american theater has been around they've been defending the fact that these characters would never look like x y or z thing so hamilton did an amazing like scalpel like attack on that particular uh, uh instantiation of white supremacy and i think that we would not be in this conversation the this beautiful conversation between the four of us wouldn't exist without the existence of these sorts of things right the critical mass that you're referring to it's like hamilton contributed to that move if nothing else even if it's still problematic even if it's like in all in in the face of all of those sort of it's problematic spaces that's also was this is a we're, we, I, I think we're, we, we gotta just keep moving forward. We gotta keep thinking about the things that we can change rather than being like, no, Hamilton was it. Because I think that it's just obvious that Hamilton wasn't it. It was just a really great mm-hmm. moment.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that you're 100 percent correct. And I think that, like I said, there are things that ha- Hamilton to me and Lin-Manuel Miranda, I would argue, did this with in the Heights as well. I mm. still love the book of In the Heights more because I think Kiara Huda escape it like a nice balance that is missing from Hamilton. And, and she's just a banging playwright. But, yeah. um, you know, I think that Hamilton raised the bar as people of color, immigrants in, in particular, always do. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> big shocker that as soon as you give a black and brown cast a bunch of money and in investment, they raise the standard for all musical theater for the right. end of time. Shocking. Right, right, right. no one. <laughs> 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 you know I mean? It's like, you, we can sing? Shut up. You know what I mean? You should go to a church on a Sunday. Um, so I mean, I think we can dance. <laughs> Stop it. Um, you know what I mean? So I think that, you know, It showed off what we are capable of Mm. when invested in 100%. And I think that's something that Hamilton does well. And I think also providing jobs is something that has done well. I mean, we can't deny the fact that when you have three touring casts going simultaneously, Mm. how many hundreds of people is that employing that otherwise would not have been employed? So I think we have to give that credit but also acknowledge, you know, the the spaces in which there are are plot holes and there are, um, and a hero has been made of someone who did horrible things as a result of having a musical named after him. Again, though that goes back to the point I made earlier of, I'm not sure if a hero would have been made of him as much had the audience that had access to see it early on been more reflective of this country as opposed to of the elite who could afford the ticket
2: i want to say kalandra that i love that you brought up the misogyny because like immediately after going to that show i remember saying like hamilton is for me at least the most boring dull character in the show and i'm like how are all of these like super like cool like interesting complex women in love with this guy who's so bland so i was like <laughs> I didn't get it from the beginning. So, and it still doesn't work. I still don't know how, you know, I still don't get it, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so we're we, we, we are talking about how Hamilton is the perfect musical, you know, to have come out of the Obama era, because in many ways, Lin-Manuel also is very much like Obama in that, you know, for for people of color, for, for people who are black and non-black people of color also, we have so, you know, such few, like there's such few such a few number of people that we can look up to that it is very difficult for us to then acknowledge that they have a bad side, that they have that problematic side that we like talking about. And I mean, I've told Deep many, many times how much I how many problems I had with Hamilton. And it's been refreshing for me to see now that the musical is available for everyone to see how I was like, oh, God, I wasn't alone all of this time. And it's important that, that we address uh, what is our third and final bill for today's session, and it's the, uh, the burden of representation. How when we have a person who's not white become, you know, be under the spotlight, by default, they end up having to represent everyone, and we, Are not giving them the liberty to be human beings, to be complex, to be, you know, both, to have both negative and very positive sides. Like, we just want them to be perfect. And this leads to poor Lynn, for instance, or even poor Obama to become holy cows. Where to question their choices, we feel sometimes like we are betraying ourselves and that we are siding with the people who have oppressed us for so long. It was very heartbreaking for me to see over the weekend, when I am sure that for the very first time ever, Lin-Manuel Miranda was reading people react negatively to a show that was received with universal acclaim, like you pointed out, by mostly white press. Uh, And I wonder now even if those people would have helped, you know, those white critics would have felt comfortable saying if they had any problems with the show. not that I want more, you know, reviews by White Crates, by the way. And it, it's very, it's very, it's very heartbreaking because, you know, probably, yeah, this man for the first time over the weekend saw, oh, wow, that people, you know, maybe don't have only 100% positive feedback to say about my musical. And I don't know if all of you saw that for a few yeah. hours over the weekend, he made his Twitter account private. And, you know, as a human being, you can't help but be heartbroken, right? For someone to read Bad things about themselves, and uh, and realize that you know it's impossible to be a holy cow. It's impossible to be a saint. Mm. And why we are not giving um, artists who aren't white and people who aren't white basically the same opportunity that we give you know other people, where we're like, okay, like let's separate the art from the artist from like Roman Polanski and like Woody Allen and all that stuff. And instead, we want you know no one saying that Woody Allen or Roman Polanski, for instance, or Harry Weinstein or like enter like. X number of problematic men, uh, white men and women, right? But we expect our people to be perfect, okay. and that is not fair. So I wonder, you know, like, for the sake of transparency, if all of you would be okay with maybe answering the following question. How are we, in our own way, problematic? Because we are Lin, we are Obama, we are every person who's not white who has had to carry that weight. and. First of all, I was presumptuous, do all of you feel that? Have all of you felt that at any point that you have to represent everyone from your community and everyone from, you know, like if I don't, if I you know, if I fail at my job, they're never going to hire a Latino again in my case. Like I feel that. Like if I fail at my job, they're never going to uh, hire an immigrant again. And I wonder for starters, if that's true for all of you, and if it is, would you be comfortable talking about what makes you problematic? Should I go first? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll go first. Okay. Uh, I'm extremely problematic in the many ways in which I have refused to see that I am not wanted, perhaps, in white institutions and white organizations. And instead, I have tried to bring in more people of color to join me. And perhaps not necessarily, I mean, in part because I want to see more people of color and non-white people join me in those places, right? But also I've been wondering, uh, as I've been thinking about this question, is it also because I'm just tired of being alone and I want to share my misery with these people? Like, why, why should I be the only one suffering? And I mean, this is in fact, one of the, uh, things that led me to, uh, I've been in the process of creating, like, a. A theater critics uh, institution, you know, organization sorry, uh, for critics of color. And I said to myself like stop stop bringing you know your people in to share the pain with you and instead just like create something new. Like I have been very problematic in not learning that I don't need to please white people. That I can please myself and I can please you know the people who, who need to be pleased actually, instead of like imposing the same rules of whiteness in all of them. And obviously, you know, these are things that are ingrained in all of us. I was trying to explain to someone over the weekend that uh, Latinos uh, are extremely problematic because we are raised on anti-blackness. And, you know, we only get to see movies at TV made in the United States, where we see, you know, we see ourselves as drug dealers partners, we see uh, Middle Eastern people as terrorists, and we see uh, black people as you know, criminals and like they're always like the person who's like really bad. And because we become brainwashed by all that media that America is exporting, we aspire to be white. And I am very grateful uh, to have come to the United States because now I can see that how you know, that's all an illusion, it was all a myth, like we were, we're being taught to not fight with our brothers and sisters, and instead to fight for whiteness when we're, we are at white. So thank you for, for listening. I
3: was, I will say that um, for me, I don't know that I have ever felt the need to represent my entire community and felt my carry my whole community on my back. But I also don't know what it's like to not have been taught that I am doing that at all times, anyway. You know, so I I can't even distinguish between my own feeling versus what I was brought up to know and believe, which is that you know, you are always a representative of X, of your community, of the black community, and and you have to you know make sure not to come off as like. Um, unintelligent or angry or what have you, you know, you're busting up stereotypes every, every door you knock down. Um, so I don't know, like, I can't even distinguish between my own feeling about that versus what I was taught my whole life, to be honest with you. Um, and then, and as far as where am I problematic? Um, I would say that I I think that I am have been problematic in, I think I can agree with you in some ways, Jose, in trying to integrate spaces where uh, that didn't, that claim to want integration, but actually weren't willing to do the work of, of integration, right? Um, so I think that there's, there's definitely some of that there. And I also think um, in maybe not pushing harder for, um, are created by people of color to get the same type of coverage as work created by white folks. Because I think one of the sinister things about trying to come up in media um, in particular, and, and as you all may know, is that there, you as the writer of color have to prove that you can critique the white work before you're allowed oh. to only critique the work created by people of color, right? Um, it's usually one of two experiences: either you get your way in the door by developing your voice, critiquing work, and writing about people of color, or and or you have to prove that you have a knowledge of this white canon because your canon isn't enough, right? Um, to be able to be taken seriously by certain publications, and so it's like, okay, if I can seed my byline in as many places as possible <laughs> to prove that I'm able to write about these things better than my white peers, because you can't be just as good, you have to be better, then I can start to write about the Asian stuff, the Black stuff, the Latin stuff, the Indigenous stuff, and, and start to pull more of that in there. And I think Buying into the idea that, like, those were the steps to being able to do that, this may be a place where I have been problematic. Um, Now, I will say. Today right now, I think I'm just like I'm with the rest of the world on like the F it all and just, <laughs> there's no more censoring, there's no more playing dice, <laughs> there's no more. Mm-hmm. It's just like whatever. Um, but I can I can honestly say, especially throughout my twenties, feeling like, okay, if I can get in here and get them comfortable with this then i can be able to do this when it's like instead of going from point c to point a to m to k it's like just straight shot it i don't know if anything i just said made any sense yeah
2: i i hear you it was great
3: okay <laughs> i was like i feel like i'm just like
2: <laughs> like thank you for following me i was like oh god no one's gonna say anything and then we're gonna leave <laughs> we're gonna just leave, having Jose be like, "I'm problematic." We're like, yeah. "Thank
0: you, bye." That's cancel
2: <laughs> guy tomorrow. Yeah. Uh,
3: no, I, I, we're not canceling. I, I'm yeah. i not in favor of cancellation unless you don't want forgiveness then, or to do better. If people who want to do better can be redeemed, if you don't want to do better, then you're canceled.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I would connect the two questions you've asked. uh in, t- I'm going to answer the second by answering the first, uh, which is, I think I haven't really felt a responsibility toward my identity. Uh, and, I, uh, and I believe that that's actually one of my most problematic traits. Uh, I am very loath to lead with my identity in any context. Uh, so much so that I aggressively will not lead for for many years. Uh, I, I I'm big on I, I for many years. I actually actively didn't tell people my race because in theater, what I look like is the thing that mattered. I never get to play as an actor. I very rarely, if ever, play my ethnicity on stage because people see me and they see something else and so i get called in for and cast as things that i am not which has made me very interested in the authenticity question for many years because if the question is that if if the statement is that people can only play the thing that they are i basically have no career as an actor because Nobody sees the thing I am as what I am, <laughs> which becomes this whole complicated thing, which actually results in my presentation being very much interested in. I'm, I've always been really interested in fluidity uh, and, and fluidity is. Uh, it, it, for me, I, 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 I say I, I I use a trick that I call slippage, which is that I let somebody else define me and then I explain to them how I'm not that thing which is very different than me stepping forward and defining myself. And the thing is what I've sort of recognized in the last uh, month or two, especially, is the ways in which that story that I tell myself is actually a tool of the white patriarchy, that my ability to to sort of dodge questions of who I am is actually about my proximity to whiteness. That because I believe that whiteness is a thing that allows people to define themselves for other people. So your if you have the privilege to define yourself as a as by whatever you want to say you are rather than by what people see you as, uh, I think that that's a that's a real profound space of privilege that people have and people don't question. And it has only been very recently that I've actually been reckoning with the fact that I. Have played into that story by actively trying to dodge questions of my own identity, um, and that's been a that I mean, that's a it's a really tough concept because on one hand, I don't want to. It's really easy for me to sort of be in a space and see myself as in the space because of my body of color or because of my sexuality or because of my gender identity or because of my neurodivergence. I can basically take all these things about myself and be like, the reason I'm in this space is this thing. But what I have tended towards doing is basically pretending like those things don't matter. And pretending like those things don't matter, I think, is, again, a tool of the ruling class, the ruling class keeps itself in power by pretending like these things don't matter. So that if somebody, if you don't get a job, it's not that you're a black person, it's that you didn't work hard enough. That story, that's the illusion. That's the story of white supremacy that I've been told. And reckoning with the ways in which my own sense of exceptionalism, like the ways in which I'm different or better than another person is tied to that story as told by the ruling class. And that's a deeply difficult thing to reckon with. Uh, And I I like talking about it in terms of theater because it gives me a nice structure within that has language that I can use to talk about the system of theater it is much harder to talk about that in terms of my own self, my experience of self in the world. Um, I don't know if any, again, I too don't know if any of that made sense, but, but it is, that's, it's a challenge to be alive.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's, like, it's like the difference between between like what you want and, and what you're willing to settle for. And And I think, in terms of like you know all of us working in white spaces and working within this industry, and you know, to take you back to the Hamilton conversation, I think the reason the musical was so impactful was because we had never seen that kind of complexity from bodies of color on the stage. And so at the time, it felt like something revolutionary when maybe I think and I think that's kind of ties in what makes me problematic was the fact that for so long, I've accepted incrementalism. In exchange for progress, mm. and and we all thought, oh, <laughs> Hamilton happened, so therefore we will get to the next phase. And then now in 2020, I'm I'm realizing, oh no, there's mainly only white people being produced in 2021 on Broadway right now. We are never going to get to get to the next phase. Maybe it's time to actually burn it all down. And I feel like, for me especially, I've been really late to that part of to turning my brain onto that part because I had been so obsessed for a long time with getting approval from white power structures and thinking I can fix things within those white power structures and that's the only way to do it. And now I'm wondering, and now I'm thinking, perhaps it, this, Hamilton wasn't enough. Like these small steps were not enough and we need to be asking for more. And by we, I mean me, I'm not really telling you, but I don't want to tell you guys what
3: to do. No, I think you're absolutely right. I always say I want my mansion in the sky. The cabin in the the cabin in the sky is not enough. I want the mansion I was promised. Like that's the, that's, the, that's my thing. I I am I'm, I'm with you
2: 100%. Well, thank you all. Like I, I, I it sounds crazy, but I, my idea of a perfect world, and I guess of a perfect America, would be one in which all of us, you know, whether white or not white are allowed to be problematic and complex. And we are so far away from that, that I guess we, you know, I thank Lin-Manuel Miranda and I thank Obama and Hamilton for giving us an opportunity to have a conversation like this. It's It's been very moving. Thank you all for sharing. And I'm sorry that I dropped that on you.
3: Thank you all for having us on and sharing your platform. I'm very yeah. proud of you and what you all have done over the last few years. You have shaken up the conversation and I think, um, given some artists even the inspiration to shake up the conversation um where they can so kudos to you
0: yes thank you thank you for having me on i'm this has been an inspiring 90 minutes
3: yeah i cannot believe it took
1: 90 minutes oh yeah so many
0: thoughts that i know and i was like (laughs) and i was like i have a
2: whole list of things that i we didn't even talk about i'm like oh yeah okay right (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: yeah
2: we had four bills originally but i was like let's insert the last one because that that's one i feel is very important uh,
3: what was th- the bill we you. missed can you tell us in this last two minutes before you hang Hold up on. what was the bill we missed
2: i don't I'm even remember curious uh and it felt like
3: talking talking about the
1: black the backlash talking yeah. about like what the musical didn't address and how mm-hmm. it could address it or maybe not because do you do you expect linda miranda to talk about to talk about slavery in a nuanced way that will satisfy everybody. Oh, no.
0: I just, I wanna, I, I absolutely not. But I also <laughs> wanna clarify, one of the things that we have done is we have done a, a slippage point where we talk about Lin-Manuel Miranda as though he's the primary creator of this show, which he is, and Lin-Manuel Miranda is in fact a body of color, so like go him. But the four creators of that show are in fact, four cis men, mm-hmm. three of whom are white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, It's really important for me that in all of our conversations about how great Lin-Manuel Miranda is, we recognize that the structure that Lin-Manuel represents is that a group of white men have basically put him at the forefront of the structure within the context of this genius narrative to allow him to be the unique and exceptional person of color in a system that serves a set of white bodies, a set of white right. male bodies, a set of cis white male bodies, a set of straight cis white male bodies.
3: And <laughs> as a caveat to that, I know y'all have to hang
0: out.
3: It's like Kanye and Taylor and you right now. We're like, and, and, <laughs> no, let's just speak for right. minute. But also I think it's worth saying that within the Latinx community, right? Lin-Manuel is a white Puerto Rican. Right? He's not, a, he's not Afro-Latino. He does not identify as Afro-Latino. Okay? The reason he was cast as the chimney sweep in Barry Poppins is because he's not Afro-Latino. So, <laughs> I think that is also just an important thing to note, is that he is a person of color. He does speak from a specific lens. I, I, like I said, not discounting the inclusion of what he's done with like Freestyle Love Supreme and In the Heights and Hamilton and blah, 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 blah. But, He has proximity to privilege by virtue of not being Um, (laughs) Afro-Latino and is educated in, you know, that, in the way that many of us were, that that most of us on this call were, with the exception of Jose, you know, educated in PWIs Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and learned the way to navigate them. Mm. Um, You know, there's... There's a set of tips and tricks that code switching gives your toolbox. You know what I mean? That that everybody doesn't have access to, where you know how to get things out of people because you've learned how, because you studied them.
0: And there are bodies
2: that <laughs> can code switch with different effect than yep. other bodies. Yeah. You would <laughs> be surprised, calendar because I went to American school in Honduras, and I know everything about the American Revolution, and I don't know who the Honduran national heroes are. I don't know, we were not taught anything about like the indigenous tribes over there. And in fact, uh, and I lived in Costa Rica when I was an adult. In fact, I had someone who lives in Costa Rica who told me, blank faced there are no black people in Costa Rica. And my mouth just like, you know, my jaw felt like, That's but yeah, we, you, you would be surprised with wow. how, how, how much America influences the way the rest of us all over the world educated and what we are taught mm-hmm. and what we are allowed to think and not think about. So thank you both again for this. It was such thank a pleasure. You. It was such a joy. Oh,
1: thank, thank, you. thank you all. Like This is longer than we thought, and so I am so appreciative that you both took the time to do this
2: with us. Now we're all going to be like, no, you hang up. No, you hang
3: up. Yeah. <laughs> no, you hang up. <laughs> OK,
1: I'll
2: hang
3: up. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.
1: Oh my goodness, the world is not wide enough for that conversation. That was so much, Jose.
2: And we left I feel like stuff we, out. Can you imagine if we had... If we the,
1: left stuff out, we, we didn't even talk about any... I know, we didn't even talk about any of the acting.
2: Or the history, you know? or, yeah.
1: Yeah, but you know what? I hope what you take away from this conversation is the fact that you can like something or admire it and you can, and it can also be problematic and you know it's okay it's okay to have both yeah. most of the brilliant things in life have both
2: yeah we are all problematic. And have
1: multiple dimensions yes we are all problematic even Lynn manuel miranda you know disney does not want you to be problematic but you know what we want you to be problematic it's good for the culture.
2: Yep, I mean, who is more problematic than Disney, right? So anyway, thank you so much, Keith <laughs> and Calandra, for joining us. It was such a joy. It's like one of my favorite episodes, I think, that we've recorded.
1: Oh, wow. it's So you You don't like talking to me? You want to go talk to others? No, I mean, it's always
2: so exciting because I felt like, you know, <laughs> like, kidding. it's like the squad, you know?
1: Work, work, Alexandra!
2: Oh, my God. Okay. Yes.
1: It, it, it scans. It, it totally scans.
2: Alexandra, Ilhan, and Diana.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the congressional sisters.
2: Oh, but we're missing one of them. Now I feel so bad. We're missing We're missing Rashida. Sorry.
1: Yes, we're missing Rashida. Sorry. She can be Aaron Burr. It's fine. Okay. It's okay. Fine.
2: So thank you for tuning okay. in for part two of our Super Avengers Infinity War episode.
1: We did a lot this week. And so if you would like to support us by helping us do more stuff, you can support our Patreon at Patreon slash Token Theater Friends. And for, for as little as a dollar a month, you, you can help us run this show, like run our website. Like we, we, we do so much and, you know, help is good. You know, we are all a team. This is kind of like, you know, all of the cast of Hamilton coming together to create something great, come join our cast! And hopefully we won't be as problematic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Again. <laughs> so we'll see you All next right. time.
1: Hopefully next week there will be only one one episode. Alright, bye!